Hello and welcome to the RBC Broadview Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. My name is Andrew. I'll just introduce myself if I haven't done that yet. My name is Andrew, and um, it's just really great to be with you here today. And one of the things I want to say today, and one of the things I hope that you hear from what I say, is that we are a people of greatest hope. Today we are finishing with the last three statements of the Apostles' Creed, um, and based on their incredible truths, I've kind of called this message today, Hope, Salvation and God's New World. We are a people of hope, and so we look to the horizon for stories of renewal. We look for stories of rebirth, we look for stories of restoration, we look for testimonies of hope knowing that these point us to a greater hope, the hope that I'll be sharing with you today. But in this spirit, before I kind of get into it, I was wondering if you might be able to indulge me for a second in a personal story of hope before I continue. I'm going to get Tan to put a photo up on the board. On Thursday this week at 4.38pm, this beautiful little girl was born. My new niece, Avalyn Kate, was born to my younger sister, Deb, and her husband, Daniel. Seven years ago, and there's something about that number, we see that through scripture, seven years, our family's heart was broken when my sister, Deb, horrifically gave birth to another niece of mine, Emmy, in her home way too early. She was living in America, and they kept sending her home, but she knew something was wrong. And she horrifically gave birth to Emmy in her home. And Emmy didn't make it. For Rachel and I, this is actually the second time our heart has been broken, as we'd already lost another baby on the other side of the family. My sister um, and her husband tried to have more kids, but it wasn't working. And there were just so many setbacks along the way. They tried everything. They lost a few, um, mis- had a few miscarriages along the way. It was just heartbreaking. And so about, I don't know, a couple of years ago, because it takes a while, they decided to foster instead. Um, and they have a beautiful, beautiful little girl now who's 10 months old, which they will likely have until she's 18. At the beginning of this year, my sister felt a word from the Lord that she kind of wanted to keep to herself because she didn't know what it meant. And that was the word restoration she didn't know what it meant and she didn't imagine this she did not at 40 she just decided that was it like she's going to be happy and content and invest into the two wonderful children that she has she has an older child um, who's 11 and um, this beautiful foster daughter that she has but this happened this wonderful incredible beautiful girl happened They conceived almost exactly seven years, the last time they conceived. And this past Thursday, the beautiful Avalon was born. And after church today, I get to meet her, which is wonderful. Such a miracle. 
such a miracle, such hope. Today, we're looking at hope. We are beginning our first, uh, final week, not our first week, our final week, exploring the Apostles' Creed. And for the last six weeks, we've journeyed through the shared belief statements held by much of the Church of Jesus for so long. They were established in the fourth century to help the church that spread around a lot of the known world come together in the incredible truth of Jesus. I'll just put up the, uh, the slide that just has the whole creed there. I won't read through it um, for sake of time. We explore the character and the sovereignty of God the Father. We explore that Jesus is the Lord of all, the one who gave up his divine privilege and became as human as you and I, that he lived and he died and he rose again conquering death and he ascended as perfect humanity to the right hand of the Father. We explore that we believe in the Holy Spirit who is God, God's presence with us, the foretaste of future glory, that he empowers the church, he gathers the church in all of its wonderful, wonderful diversity. In fact, I want to say that this longing that we hear in Western society for diversity is a first a gift from the church. Humanity didn't used to think that way until the church existed. And while maybe their picture of it is distorted or a bit different to ours, that sense of the wonderful uniqueness of diversity is actually a gift that God gave through the church. His dream through the church. And he sends the church, he sends us who are his church with a message, the gospel with good news to every part of the world. And today we come to the final statements of this creed. We believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. May it be so. Words of hope. We are people of hope. Can you see the hope that are in these words, these beliefs, given with the foretaste of a personal relationship with God through the Holy Spirit? We can know these and we have a foretaste of these things now through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives right now. And these truths are a wonderful message that we've been given to share to the world. So before we dig in, I want to read to you um, how a theologian called Michael Bird sums it up, because I think he says it in, in a way that um, he says it so much better than I can. So if you take anything away from today, let it be this. He writes this. The church now has the duty of living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. The church now has the duty of living in the power of the Holy Spirit to declare the forgiveness of sins and the restoration of all things. And we do this until the glorious day when Jesus returns from heaven to put the world to rights, to judge the living and the dead, to rescue his people and to bring them into a new heaven and earth. The goal of our hope is not a disembodied bliss in heaven, but rather the resurrection of the body and life everlasting in God's new world. So let's dig in. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. If you've been in the church for a while, you might think, of course, this is kind of Christianity 101, but we need to realize how wonderful this truth is. God 
is life. And I've heard it once said that sin is the anti-life. When humanity chose disobedience to God to elevate itself, to as the created put their will above the will of the creator, the result is anti-life. Sin. Sin is the anti-life that entered into the world. And so sin in its pervasiveness is, is the decay evident that we see throughout all of creation where things just don't work like they should. Sickness. Disaster. Something that we all experience. We all experience the world and the sin in us and around us. Its power affects both the physical and the spiritual. It corrupts and it distorts and it destroys and it thieves and it brings death. It brings mortality, it brings suffering, it brings misery, it brings a spiritual darkness. And so to say that we believe in the forgiveness of sins is saying that God has made a new way through this. In love, that he has given us salvation from this sin that we experience every single day. That he, instead of letting us live in the anti-life, has given us life. And we have a foretaste of that now, don't we? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Foretaste of life. And salvation, therefore, is deliverance from all that is fallen in us and around us. Salvation is a beautiful reconciliation back to God. And did you know this salvation happened before we knew him? This salvation happened when we received him. This salvation continues to happen now as we aim to walk with him. And we will be forgiven in the renewal of all things, in his judgment of the living and the dead. Salvation happened before we knew him. Ephesians 1 uh, verse 3 uh, onwards says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms of every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. From verse 7, And in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance to the riches of God's grace. That he has lavished. I love that word. Can everyone say lavished? Lavished. We don't say that word enough. Lavished on us. God was always going to bring about salvation through Jesus. It's not an afterthought. It's part of his desire. It's part of his love for us. We live therefore. Every human lives therefore in an existence of actually being loved by God, as Miri has already said today, not having to earn his love. His love, his grace is lavished upon us. We exist in a world where you are completely loved by God, even before you knew him, where he knows the very core of who you are and he loves you and lavishes his grace upon you. Even with the mistakes that you made when you woke up this morning and the mistakes you're going to make when you go on your way home and maybe the ones you have when you have awkward conversations around a coffee and think, why did I say that? Still have the coffee, still have the conversation. 
where his wrath isn't against you, but against sin itself. You see, when we give our allegiance to sin, when we give our allegiance to rebellion against his will, his goodness and his light, we align ourselves with what he has already conquered on the cross. We align ourselves actually with deathness, if that's even a word. It's a good word to explain it, with deathness. And this is what his righteous wrath stands against because he knows how ungood it is. He knows how, um, how bad it is. He knows that this brokenness is only leading us to death. He breaks his heart because he desperately wants a relationship with us and he has made a way. And so when we choose to go the other direction, a direction that pushes him away, it breaks his heart. And so we believe, we believe that God has forgiven, that the work of the cross is final and that we stand justified, given right standing before God. But we also believe that he does actively forgive us right now. There is a moment, a first moment, when we first ask for our sins to be forgiven. I think if you've made that decision, you know you've experienced that sense of, coming before God and asking for your sins to be forgiven and knowing that burden being lifted off your life. There is a first moment when we first ask for our sins to be forgiven and when we first enter into a life with him, a life confessing our sins to him, confessing when we get it wrong and continually being forgiven by him. In fact, 1 John 8 Sorry, 1 John 1, 8 to 9 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We have redemption through the blood of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, confessing the things in us which are not of God. These need to be a core practice of who we are. These things that come into our life and burden us and chain us up, handing them back over and saying, Lord, you are Lord. I don't want these anymore. I'm sorry. Take it. Because God is willing and able and faithful to forgive our sins and purify us by the Holy Spirit's work in us, our lives, our lives confessing because we know that he forgives. Because of the cross, we can come to God knowing that it's a throne of grace, knowing that the work is done, a way made for us to enter into a new relationship with God because Jesus paid it all. And so forget, confession is the beginning of the Christian life, knowing that the truth, that God has made a way for us, that he loved us before we knew him, that he is faithful to us, and that he is able to redeem and restore us. If you've had a great relationship with your parents and you know that they don't go too crazy when you've done something wrong, you, you kind of know what this rhythm is a little bit like. You can come to dad or come to mum and say, you know those biscuits I ate the little... I'm really sorry, I shouldn't have done that. When you come to a father or a mother who you know will forgive, when you know has grace, 
You know that dynamic. You don't want to abuse it because you know that it's love, but you know you can come to them without fear because you are receiving love. And that's the relationship that we have with God, that we can come with him knowing that his perfect love casts out all fear. And so we don't confess in fear, we confess in gratefulness. And, in, and I was going to say excitement, but that's a bit of a weird word to use, but with absolute joy knowing that he will forgive us. That Paul says it this way to the Christians in Rome in uh, Romans 8, which is often people's most famous chapter, uh, favorite chapter. It says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So there is a forgiveness, there is a salvation that we can know now through the Holy Spirit, that freeing work of his spirit in us. We can know what it is to feel shame replaced by love and by life, knowing that we belong to a God who loves us unconditionally, no matter who we are, if we confess he is faithful and he is just, and we can know this salvation now. The Spirit's work in our life does so many things. He does so many things and all point to being made alive in Christ. And part of this work is placing a conviction on our heart to confess this in our life, whether it be for the first time or throughout life, because it no longer has a place in the life that we've received in Christ. And we can have the freedom of knowing the forgiveness of God and the burden of sin lifted. Maybe today, there's things on your heart you're sensing that's not right with God. Maybe there's things in your heart you're going, I've gone down the wrong track. I've let things run away from me. That's what you're feeling. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. He doesn't want you to carry those burdens. Repentance is all about heading in a different direction. It's not about saying, oh, I'm so sorry, and then doing the same thing again. It's about going, Lord, I so don't want this to be part of my life that I'm putting this down and I'm heading the other way. If you have things in your life right now, don't let shame creep in because that's not of God. We have no reason to feel condemned, but maybe it's the conviction of the Spirit saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to me and find rest. Leave this at my feet. We believe in the ultimate power of this forgiveness, the salvation of the very world. In fact, John three seventeen says, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And this wonderful truth leads to the final two statements of the creed. There's a lot in here and I'm not going to try to cover it all. I'm more than happy to have an ongoing conversation with you absolutely about this. We believe in the resurrection of the body and we believe in life everlasting. Christian faith always looks to the future even with the things that break our heart with hope. We, because we believe in the renewal of all things no matter how dark no matter how broken no matter how confusing we believe 
and the renewal of all things. That there will be a renewed world in the purpose of God. It's his good purpose to do it. Where we will live with him forever. I want you to notice this. The creed doesn't say this. I believe I will go to heaven when I die and float on the clouds and play a harp. Which is actually what many, many, many people talk about. Did you hear this? We have sing some songs and I've tried to kind of remove them because they're not helpful. Heaven is not your home. Heaven is not your home. Being with God is, absolutely. I think Genesis is pretty clear. We were made for here. Why would I have arms and legs if I was meant to float? We were made for everlasting life here with God. This is what we see in Genesis 1, Genesis 2. It's equals, male and female, image-bearing God together. Anything beyond that is tainted. Until Jesus really steps in in his fullness. We were made for here. Because God wins. Because his purpose wins. What he started at creation will be restored and will be perfected when Jesus comes again as king. Jesus came here as the perfect human, and yes, he ascended, but he is coming back again. And he taught us to pray right at the beginning of the prayer, let your will be done on earth. Not, let me just barricade myself and keep myself away from absolutely everything else to just keep myself absolutely, make sure I can do everything I can do to be pure and potentially even move further and further and further away from cities because that's where bad things are. Or, you know, I don't want to, like, interact with my neighbour because I don't want to accidentally get tainted by them. He says, no, you have a message of goodness to take out into this world that I love. Let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven because the ultimate purpose of God is a joining of a new heaven and a new earth, which is what, we, what Jesus represents, what the temple was representing, what when we gather as the church and we come and we want to experience the glory of God together represents. These are just a mirror of what is to come and what existed in the beginning, what is promised as life from the age to come. Ananios is the word that we read in John 3.16. That they'll know life from the age to come, which we translate as eternal life or everlasting life. Think about it. If our goal, if God's goal was disembodied life in heaven, when we read what his plan was in the beginning of Genesis, wouldn't that mean that Satan has actually won? That he was able to come and to store and to steal what God had already decided from the beginning. And now we can't live here anymore. We can't experience a new earth that's completely redeemed. We have to kind of go and escape somewhere. Wouldn't that mean that he ultimately, he's permanently ruined God's plan? I think if you've grown up with siblings and you have an idea about what you want to do that day and they come in and they distort it and you don't get to go back to what your original plan was, you know that that's kind of, they've kind of won. You don't get to kind of do what you had originally planned. And that's kind of like this. And today I want to acknowledge 
that maybe out of everything we've explored through this creed, perhaps this is the thing that you find the most controversial. Maybe you're sitting here going, what? What are you talking about? But I want you to ask that you come with me as I continue to explain. What is heaven? Heaven is the throne room of God. It's the source of hope, Colossians 1.5 says, that we, for all we are here on, that we have here on earth. Heaven is the reign of God. It's his kingdom in its fullness. It's glorious. It's our treasure, Matthew 6, 19 to 20 and 19.21 says. And it's our citizenship, um, Philippians 3.20 says. And it's our inheritance, 1 Peter 1, 4 to 5 says. Heaven is promised as a temporary place for us who believe to go and to be with the Lord because that's where his presence is. Second um, Corinthians 5, 1 to 4. Before the new creation is fully realized here on earth. And so for us, yes, there is heaven, but it's temporary. It's not the end picture. It's not the end hope. The book of Revelation tells us that heaven is a place of worship, as Miriam shared before, Revelation 7, 13 to 17. But it's also a place of longing for the day where it too will be renewed together with the earth. Revelation 6, 10 to 11. Now I could go and pull these out, but it would take way too much time today. So I ask you, if you're like, what is he talking about? Go back and listen to the podcast. Go and watch um, the sermon on YouTube. Go back and have a look at it. So heaven is life after death. But the resurrection, what this is talking about, the renewal of all things, is life after life after death. It is the climax of God's revealed will. And I say revealed will because we don't know beyond that. Not that God doesn't have a will beyond this, but it's the end, it's the climax of his revealed will to us, where heaven and earth are joined. Our bodies are glorified in Christ, enjoying the new creation, and God is forever with, with his people, we read. And this happens because we, like Jesus, are resurrected. First, those who have died, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17, and then those who are still alive at Christ's return, that we meet him in the air and then return behind him as a conquering king to the new earth. This picture that we are given, which made so much sense to the um, original audience of the conquering kings when they came and they were taking a, a city um, that won the right to have... Um, to. Uh, for that city to be king, become their kingdom, everybody would leave, the, would leave that city and join behind the king and the king would be the first to step into that space and they would follow in his reign. We are raised like Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, the young adults are going to be doing that tonight, I think. 42 to 43, sown as perishable bodies into that which is unperishable, sown in weakness and dishonor, but raised in glory and raised in power. And like Jesus, our bodies are redeemed. Romans 8, 23. We read in John that it is his resurrection. His disciples recognized him. They could touch him. They could place their, their fingers in his body where he'd been pierced. They spoke with him. He cooked food for them. 
He was in every way human and yet he was glorified, able to do the immeasurably more where there was no sickness, no pain in his body, no pain in our bodies and he, wouldn't, he doesn't succumb to death and decay and that will be how it is for us. That is what it will be like for all of creation. Jesus is the first of all that will be. And so yes, you will still be you. The idea of your soul escaping the bondage of this earthly body is actually a pagan belief. It's not Christian and it's not what the creed is celebrating. And while, yes, we go to be with the Lord for a while, at the resurrection, we are united with a renewed and a redeemed body. And so matter, it matters because there will be a marriage of a new heaven and a new earth together. And God promised this long before the coming of Jesus. We read in Isaiah 66, 22 to 23. As the new heavens and the new earth that I will make, sorry, as the new heavens and the new earth that I will make endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. From one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all of mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. And then... Through Jesus in Revelation 21, John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. What's wrong with the ocean? I don't know. There's no longer any sea, nothing that will separate. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne, King of kings and Lord of lords says, I am making everything new. And there is so, so much more I could say about this. And you might be wondering, well, what about those who don't believe? There is the judgment of God for those who give their allegiance to sin, that don't receive his salvation. They give their allegiance to sin, to self, to the idols of the world. It's true, there are consequences for making ourselves the king of our lives, the idol of our own lives, for rejecting the invitation of God, for choosing disbelief in Jesus. Because all that is good and all that is life is only found in him. And a rejection of him and a worship of self has the consequence of anti-life. An eternity without him and all that is his character. Even the things of self that have any good, we can say they're good because they are a partial and a broken reflection of him who is truly life and truly light. And so, yes, we can celebrate the good that we see. We should celebrate the good we see because it is a mirror back. I should be able to celebrate this beautiful gift of God that I get to meet this afternoon. This wonderful human being and what God has been able to do there, not just because it's an amazing miracle and and so great, but also it gives me, again, that sense of this is how it's supposed to be. And this is how it will be. What we've experienced seven years ago, we'll not, we will never experience in the new creation. 
But I don't want this message to be one about fear of death and eternal death. I want this to be about what the creed was pointing out, which is hope in the life to come if we give our allegiance to Christ as King. This is the tone. This should be our tone and the focus of what we believe. Hope. Hope that is only found in Jesus. So as I finish, I want to say that it's important for us to know how all of this impacts us right now. First, as I said earlier, we are forgiven. Completely. Planned before we knew it. Forgiven as we confess. We're forgiven as our final hope. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, will we trust? Will we receive this forgiveness? Second, there is hope. And it's all about the complete renewal of things. It's not about some eternal heart playing in the sky. One day we will worship God together with those we no longer get to do so on earth and with us here and with churches all around the world. We'll get to worship God and be with that which we've lost in this broken creation. We get to be with that again in the new creation. And third and most importantly and finally, and why I think it's in this as well, it's because our, as the church, our role is to live our lives proclaiming this. We have this message and we have a way of life that points to this hope. We are the heaven as on earth people. Matter matters. How we live matters. How we forgive matters. How we treat others matters. How we treat this earth matters because it all worships Jesus who was and is and is to come. Our life points to that renewed creation. I was thinking about that the other day that you know, my lawn had gotten way too long and it was getting feral and it was getting really, really hard to mow, but I did it anyway. And I thought actually tending for this ground is actually me linking back to the original thing that Adam was given. This is actually worship. It's not just a chore. This is part of what God has given humanity to do and to do it in a way that honours him and worships him. The way we treat each other matters. Jesus talks so much about forgiveness because it matters. Because if somebody interacts with you and they wrong you and you give them grace upon grace upon grace in forgiveness, yeah, you can put in some healthy boundaries, all that sort of stuff, but you forgive them and you don't let them be bound up by your anger. Do you know what that points to? The forgiveness of Jesus. But when we do the opposite, they say, well, I won't even use someone's name. If Jeff doesn't forgive me, and he's a Christian, why would his God forgive me? All of this matters because it worships Jesus. Even when it hurts, even when you really don't want to, that's worship. It's pointing towards the renewed creation. 
Our relationships point towards a new creation. Our community working together, our community loving each other, our community empowering each other, our community giving up maybe something we could do and letting someone else do it in our place matters. And it points towards the beauty and the wonder of what God is doing and how God is wanting to work through all his people. Lifting the marginalized and working for justice matters. Even when we think it's just not making the biggest difference in the world, it matters because it points to what God is doing and because God is king of kings and we don't know, we don't get to pick the end result of what we do, but we do get to choose who we point to in the way we live. So of course Jesus says in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, there is so much more I could say about this, and I'm sure there's open questions people have. But Lord, you have a hope in complete renewal. You've given us this hope in complete renewal. And maybe for some of us here, the first taste we get of that is forgiveness when we don't feel like we deserve it. Lord, if there are people here today who are holding back from just being open to you because they don't feel like you actually be the God of grace that they're hoping you would be, I pray that you would break that. Right now you would flood their heart with the deepest sense of your love because that's how you feel about them. If there are issues that we're having with people and they're so hard, I pray that one, you would help us to have the courage to come before you and pray, to confess the part maybe that we've done in the breakdown of this relationship and that we would work towards restoration where we can as an act of worship. Lord, if there are things in our lives that we need to change and turn around, let go, do a different way, a way that will point towards the hope that we have in you. Whatever that is, Lord God, I pray that you will speak to us today. Thank you for the hope that we have. Thank you that you are a risen Lord. Thank you that you, that God, you are the father of all creation. Thank you that we have the Holy Spirit who speaks to us, that he, he encourages us and renews us and restores us and convicts us and shapes us and molds us and walks with us. Thank you that you conquered death on the cross. Thank you that we're forgiven. Thank you that we have a future hope and that we have a living hope right now in you. So we give you glory today in Jesus' name.